0: Hey, everybody, before we get started on the announcements for the actual episode, I have an announcement about this episode that's kind of a trigger also. Um, We talk about our Twitter account uh, at the beginning, just sort of before we get started on the recap. And we're actually, so we said in in the episode that we have 27 followers at the point when we recorded. We now have 37 going big. So that's my update. Okay, let's get on to the episode. Hey, everybody. Before we get started today on this episode, we're going to take you through a few triggers. We have a few more for today from our friend, Sherry, who has continued to share insights into her experience with the emergency uh, department through the 90s, and we want to share some of her stories because they're awesome. Yeah,
1: they are. As we discussed earlier (laughs) in one of the episodes... We talked about how absurd it was that Dr. Green brings his daughter, Rachel, to work one day. We could not believe that anyone would do that. And it turns out from (laughs) Sherry that they actually used to do that on occasion. Sherry recalls a doctor who would occasionally bring her daughter to work and have her sit with the unit clerks and just color throughout the shift. That is wild. (laughs) And sometimes in between night shifts and day shifts, kids would get dropped off in the waiting room for 30 to 40 minutes during shift change because the staff's spouses had to work in the morning. So they would drop off their kids and then staff would go pick up their kids from the waiting room um, on their way home. So it was just kind of like a good transition little daycare situation going on in the waiting room. Yeah, <laughs> uh.
0: it's kind of cool. I mean, it makes sense that that would happen. I remember as a kid, Like, my mom's a teacher, and I remember, I don't remember, like, I don't remember what the occasion was that I would have to go to school with her, but I would have to go to school and she would teach classes, and I would sit and, like, color at her desk while she taught a class. Oh, interesting. And, yeah, Yeah. and I don't know if it was, like, a day that, you know, my dad wasn't home, and then I was not able to be home by myself or whatever the reason, but that probably wouldn't happen now, you know, even in a classroom. Yeah.
1: At a high school. Like, yeah, like, I can't imagine, like, kids. the liability issues that that would bring on. But, yeah, like, I can't imagine in the emergency department either. It's just not, like, a super wholesome or safe place that I would think that, you could yeah. leave your child in the waiting room anymore. Yeah, I just, I, I don't totally. know that, that would be a super safe decision these days anyway, But, yeah, it's kind of cool that that used to happen. And it makes sense because, like, daycare probably didn't have extended hours like they do now where you could be dropping your kid off at 6 in the morning. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, like, it it would make sense that you'd have to, from a night shift, take your kid home and have that kind of transition time in the winter. Yeah. Any more from Sherry? Yeah, so there's one more thing that she told us about. They also had a whiteboard uh, that listed the patients and the doctors would sign up for patients on that whiteboard. And it's very similar to the one that they have on the show. And sometimes Mm -hmm. what the nurses used to do is draw pictures to illustrate the conditions that the patients had. And then it was like a game on guessing what the illness was based off of the illustration. Maybe like wow. not the most That's so politically funny. correct thing now, but like kind of funny. Yes. <laughs> like. And it
0: like that just to me is hilarious. And I think maybe to the audience or people from the outside that look at that situation, they might think like it's really insensitive, but ultimately, you know, it's something that, was done to cope with their job. Like so that, you know, you deal with really horrible things on a daily basis at work and you have to find strategies that make you want to come back the next day because you go through so many highs and lows and so many horrible traumatic things experiencing this or seeing what people go through. And so, you know, it doesn't diminish our respect for our patients when these things happen. It doesn't like mean that we don't think of them as people, but it's some way that we can add a bit of humor to our job to sort of distract us from how traumatic it can be. I
1: totally agree. Great stories from Sherry. Love it. Uh, Keep them coming, Sherry. We are enjoying this a lot. Yes.
0: Um. And like Sherry, you know, she's such a great storyteller. We're hoping that one day she'll give us a recording, (laughs) but we're not, we, you know, we want to respect her wishes, but she's, she's like known in the department as being just this really great storyteller. And so, yeah, we love her dearly. And we love hearing what she has to say. Honestly, I could like, I could sit and listen to her for hours. I
1: totally agree talk about yes stuff. she has yeah. a wonderful voice and she just tells stories in just this most animated amazing way it would be great to have yeah. a recording of her telling one of her stories on the podcast but uh-huh. she's just not quite ready yet and that's okay that's okay that's okay <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's We're right okay. with it please pause for an important directive from dr Morganstern, chief of surgery at county general hospital this episode contains heavy themes and serious content listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real-life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you.
0: Welcome back to ER Debrief Podcast, a recap podcast where two emergency room nurses discuss the hit 90s TV show, ER. We are your hosts, Melissa and Julie. This week, we will be discussing episode 13 of season one.
1: Woohoo! We have an exciting week getting our Twitter up and running. Oh my god. (laughs) And I was definitely recording some random sounds around the city a a couple days ago, which you might have seen on our Instagram, basically trying to include some whoosh sounds or some kind of sound effects into our podcast you may or may not have heard that in last week's podcast i'm not sure i'm working on editing that one right now so we'll see how that goes. Um, (laughs) i can't wait to hear it uh so yeah it's gonna be so good yeah but our twitter is definitely up and running and doing great you're doing an amazing job there julie thank you we are at 27
0: followers right now
1: what so exciting yeah
0: we were we started off with six I think and now we have 20 no 27 27 and it's just like it's pretty fun I'm pretty pretty into Twitter I think I really like it like there's lots of cool people on there that everyone is like unless you make a comment that a lot of that's maybe a bit polarizing it can be a bit of a pylon with Mm -hmm. people disagreeing or whatever but otherwise it's a pretty fun place
1: I do think it's a little bit like intimidating in the fact that like not a ton of our friends are on Twitter so it's not like Instagram where you're like kind of surrounded by your people to a certain extent you're isolated from like the Grander yes. scheme of things, whereas Twitter, it's like the grand scheme of things. Like you are putting your yes. voice out there for anyone and everyone we'll be, to comment on. If you totally
0: it. like totally one hundred percent,
1: yeah. So it's kind of intimidating yes. that way, and but kind of fun. Too. It is fun, and
0: I've been told that that is the. I liked no. your little dance there. That was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> a little dance, a little Twitter dance. I've been told that Twitter is the place where podcasters hang out. And it seems like the podcast community is really, really accepting and welcoming. So I kind of want to meet through Twitter, some more podcasters, you know, like some more people that do Yeah, that'd be so cool. Um, I think that would be interesting to do. It takes a lot of, I I enjoy it, but it does take like a lot of time and thought. Like people are so good at it. Like I look at some people's Twitter feeds and I'm like, oh, how did they think of that? Like, they're so smart or like so witty. And yes, it's like, it's interesting. I like it. Awesome. So there was something I wanted to ask you, which actually relates to this because it was this nurse that I started following on Twitter who posted a question. So she basically like led with, I've had a really tough week and have had some pretty traumatic cases. What do you do to take care of yourself? Like what are your self care skills? As a shift worker. And so I wanted to ask you okay. the same question. Okay. What you do.
1: Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, I would say that like I mm-hmm. see a therapist. So I see a mm-hmm. therapist regularly. So that is like a saving grace mm-hmm. for me for sure. I also craft a oh, lot. Yeah. I really like like a creative yes. outlet. So I do do that quite often. I think we've talked about like my COVID bears, those have yes. been kind of an obsession lately. I like to make t-shirts and I was tie-dyeing shirts the other day. Yeah, so that was kind of fun. Yeah. So I do kind of that stuff. I like to create. I like to use my imagination. Mm-hmm. I would say I also drink pretty good wine yeah. sometimes. <laughs> That's also a coping <laughs> mechanism. And then talking to my coworkers and my friends about situations. So like I do enjoy a yes. good vent. I like to just like air it all out. Whether it was a patient, whether it was a coworker or a manager, whatever it was. That drove me crazy. Just like getting all of that yes. out is probably like my biggest coping mechanism for nursing is just like, and I think a lot of us do that. Like when we get together, all we do is talk yeah. about our job because uh-huh. we just have so much emotion yes. about it that you have to get that out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just going to go crazy. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that those are kind yeah. of the biggest things. Those are great. What about you? I want to know what yours are. Um. Okay. So a lot of the
0: same, like I see a therapist pretty regularly talking to colleagues, especially like right in the aftermath of a pretty traumatic code, or just like something that's bothering me. Um, I really try to prioritize my sleep. I used to choose other things over sleeping, like seeing friends or seeing family or going for a workout or something. I would prioritize other things, but now that's at the top of my list. Especially when I'm working nights. Mm-hmm. Well, nights and days, but just making sure that I'm getting to bed at a good time and getting the sleep that I need. And then also, like, I know a lot of people say, like, exercise is a big part of their stress management, and it is part of mine too. I would say, more so, though, allowing myself the freedom to not exercise helps me a lot. Yeah. I
1: like it. So, like, yeah,
0: when I'm feeling really stressed and like bogged down or like overwhelmed by stuff or life or things that are happening at work. Um, and it's part of my regular routine to like do a workout. And I, if I just am not feeling it, I won't judge myself. I just say I'm not doing it today. Maybe I'm not doing it for two weeks. Maybe I'm not doing it for a month. And I allow myself that. That's awesome. I also, yeah. And I used to judge myself a lot for making those decisions. And now I'm kind of like, there's no point in judging myself for not exercising because everyone's self-care looks different. And then also I find just going for a nice walk, putting on a podcast that has nothing to do with work, something that's light and fun. That's one thing that I listen to Potterless for. Mike Schubert Mm -hmm. hosts that podcast and it's basically him reading the Harry Potter books for the first time as a 26 or 24. I can't remember how old he was when he started but it, but it's basically him reading the books for the first time. And it was just so much fun to listen to. And so I would, especially when COVID was happening too, and I didn't want to hear anything more about COVID or anything more about politics. I just... Wanted to go for a walk and detach for a little bit. And that podcast like was so good for that. Yeah. So that's my self-care.
1: Yeah. I like all of those. Those are great.
0: (laughs) All right. Melissa,
1: uh, what fun facts do you have for us this week? Um, so I have a really short and sweet fun fact this week. Yay! Um, Shockingly, because we talk so much normally. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode introduces a new character. Uh, Her name in the show is Deb Chen. Yes. So I have watched all seasons and I realize that you have not, Julie. Yes. But um, I don't think that it's spoiling anything to say that her real character name is Jing Mei. Okay. Chen. Okay. And we learn that like many seasons later. Okay. So like we don't learn that in this season, by okay. any means. Okay. Um, or I don't think that we do. I'm pretty sure we don't. She goes by Deb Chen, but her real okay. name is actually Jing Mei Chen. Okay. So she is played by Ming-Na Wen, mm-hmm. who I just wanted to, like, comment on. So she is also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but more importantly, she's the voice of Mulan just got oh outside. really <laughs> yes oh my God. so she right she's yes. the voice of mulan in the first movie and the sequel actually amazing i love mulan that's like one of my favorite disney movies me too i love really? mulan a lot I love mulan. so when i found that out i was really yeah. excited yes <laughs> like, i was trying to find a fun <laughs> fact for this week and i was like oh well maybe i'll look up this new character and see if there's anything interesting about her and she's the voice of Mulan and I was like oh my, oh god. my god I this love is my fun fact uh, my favorite <laughs>
0: character and that whole thing is Bisho, Mishu the dragon yes shame on yes. your wife or what does he say shame on your <laughs> cow shame on
1: your family <laughs> I Mishu like, is the best oh yes I love that movie Shame on your so health. much shame
0: on your cow it's a horse (laughs) it was a horse that's why it's funny because it's not a cow
1: (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah i do i really like that movie so i'm really excited about it so yeah she is gonna be on the next, on this season for sure. And then she actually will make a comeback in later seasons where we learn her real name. So so it'll be a while before we know that she's actually Jing Mei, but. Okay, that's a cool fun fact. So this episode is titled Luck of the Draw. It was written by Paul Manning and directed by Rod Halcombe. It aired on January 12th, 1995, Which is the day after my sixth birthday? Oh that's fun. (laughs) Which I just needed to say. I'm born on January the eleventh. So Oh my gosh. That's I was six years old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, we were so
0: little. And I would have been five. So little. Yeah, we were
1: tiny when
0: this this came out. (laughs) In this episode, Dr. Lewis is under investigation for negligence and Dr. Green is ordered to supervise her work. A customs agent brings in a suspect whose intestines are packed with contraband. Carter shows new medical student Deb around the ER. That's Dr. Chen. And Dr. Benton and his brother-in-law, Walt, hunt for Peter's missing mother.
1: Just before we get into our Joules rating today, we've had a few requests to explain the Joules rating system again for those of you who aren't familiar with what Joules mean. So Joules are a measurement of energy. The number of Joules is the strength of electrical current used in a defibrillator when you shock a failing heart. So we've been using this as a general rating scale just because we get a large ra- larger rating scale um, with 200 joules being the amount of a full defibrillation of an adult patient. So 200, we're kind of equating to a really great episode, life-returning kind of episode. <laughs> and then... Um, We haven't really discussed what the lowest end of our scale would be, but I suppose it would be zero joules with an absolutely abysmal episode, like not even worth defibrillating whatsoever. So... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of our scale roughly is from zero to 200. Uh, But I mean, it doesn't mean that we can't be shocking somebody at a higher volume than 200. So really, it's a really rough scale to give us an idea of what our uh rating is on each episode. So for example, this episode... I am going to rate this episode at actually 200 jewels that accidentally shocks Carter. Um, (laughs) Which is what happens in this episode. That was so, (laughs) so so funny. Oh, I can't wait to talk Uh, about it. (laughs) Me too. Uh, What would you rate this episode, Julie?
0: Yeah, I really liked this episode. I found myself making less notes and just I was kind of engaged in the show. I'm going to say 210. Nice. A little above
1: the defibrillation. Thanks. All right. I like it. (laughs) So in this episode, we open on Mark and Susan arriving at work talking about the patient Susan lost named Vanderbeck. Uh, Susan has a review today on this specific case. Uh, Dr. Carson is right behind them and Mark says ex on the arson K. <laughs> no No. K- Dr. Kason Sorry. Dr. Kason is right behind them. And yes. Mark says exne on the Asin K. Yeah. To stop Susan from talking about it. A little
0: pig Latin. Uh, yeah, pig Latin. <laughs> that is so 90s slash early 2000s. Totally. I just like, you know... I, I think one thing that initially caught my eye right from the get-go is, like, their cars that they drove. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. The, the old punch buggy, like, the old, like, beetle that, <laughs> that Susan was driving. And then this, like, I don't even know what, what model or what car it was, but uh, Dr. Green was driving this, like, hatchback. And it just reminded me that, like, I drove for the longest time this red 95 Toyota Camry that was basically brand new when this show started. But I drove it, like, all throughout my high school years. I drove it into, like, I only replaced my car last year, and I am now 30. Oh, wow. So I've had that car forever. (laughs) Like, Toyota Camry, this could be an ad for them because their cars do not stop. Like they oh, don't
1: last forever, yes, forever.
0: Um, and it just when I saw those cars, I was like, Yes, <laughs> the
1: old guys. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I love it. Mm-hmm. I particularly picked up on the pig Latin, yes, and that I was great. about Yeah, I thought about my friend in elementary school, her name was Kim. And Aww. her and I used to have, like, a signal if somebody was, like, behind or coming behind us that was that we were talking about. Not that we did this a ton, I guess. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> we did. But, yeah. like, we came up with this signal that, like, if there was an issue, we would do this signal to, like, stop us from talking about the person. Right. Um, and so it was a pencil sharpener a signal so we used to like twist our hand (laughs) like we were sharpening a pencil and that was our signal yeah (laughs) so did you get really excited when you got to use it uh yeah, I think like the two baby times we ever used it was like <laughs> super like, awesome.
0: Um <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so then we meet Deb Chen, who is a new medical student under Dr. Benton. Dr. Benton immediately signs her to Carter and yep. tells him to break her in. Carter basically goes through an orientation that is super similar to what Dr. Benton gave to Carter. Yeah. Like the IV explanation, like everything is very similar to mm-hmm. what Dr. Benton said.
0: Did you note
1: how he got woken up and where he got woken up? Um, yes. He got woken up in this patient's room where there was a deceased patient right beside him yes. and he was also covered with a sheet above and his he head.
0: Was <laughs> sleeping in the same room as a dead body. Yeah, I did see and I that. Like, but could you imagine anybody <laughs> sleeping in our body holding room?
1: No, no. I'm very uncomfortable going into that room at all. Me. Let too. alone sleeping in the same room yeah that is a whole other level of comfort with death that like, i just don't this
0: get. is not okay <laughs> like this would yeah. not no 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 well, no well no, and no, like no, 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 the
1: dead body that's in that room has like a sheet over its head but like yeah also that sheet yeah is soaked through with blood I wonder if just it's a TV thing to, like, make you know that that person's dead. But, like... It, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> like, totally, like, I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't imagine just sleeping in that room like that. Yeah, yeah, it's too creepy. Yeah. Nope, 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 nope,
0: nope, nope, no. nope. <laughs> <laughs> Continue.
1: So I thought that this whole like situation, like throughout the episode with Carter and Deb, was interesting and kind of realistic in the fact that like how quickly we forget what it's like to be a new person or a new staff member or a student or whatever in a new area because as much as I don't want to admit it I have definitely been in this situation where like yeah you know at the beginning you're really scared and like learning and it's a huge learning curve to come into the emergency department, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your experience is, it's a completely different world. Yes. And, and I was super terrified coming in, but then like when you're orientating new people, you're way more comfortable. You've probably been there for a year plus and Mm -hmm. you just want to get stuff done and like, I don't blame people for that either. Like, it's a busy place and you just want to get it done. And, like, it's annoying to be slowed down and all that stuff. But, like, it's so easy to forget what it's like to be that new person. Yes. And I thought that this was a really great look at how, like, mentoring in healthcare is really like. Because it's really, it's like that.
0: Right? Totally.
1: Totally. It yeah. is
0: exactly like that.
1: There's a big reputation, especially in nursing, that we eat our young. Yes. And I think that to a certain extent we do. Yeah. And like it sucks. And like I do think that that's improving. But it is tough because like maybe you went through a hard transition getting into the department and like figuring out what to do and how to behave or like how to present yourself or like what knowledge you even know, yeah, and you expect then, after you've been there for a bit and figured it out, that other people can come in and jump in and be just as great as you are now, which is tough, like yes, I don't know it's a it's a tricky situation, so yeah, totally I don't know, and I thought it was really
0: interesting yeah. that you know Carter was now facilitating this orientation, just as you said, whereas he went through that with Dr. Benton, but he was treating, like he had a horrible time with his orientation and he felt so out of the loop and he didn't really have a ton of compassion for Dr. Chen. He was kind of behaving the same way. And I was like, wow, it happens so quickly that you become far removed from being a beginner.
1: Yes. 100%. It's interesting because Carter is such a good guy. So to see him... Like revert to a dr. Benton style I, is really interesting, yeah, and like, like kind of out of character, yeah, yeah, you kind of get this like I think it's just a human nature thing where you get this cockiness about mm-hmm. you that you know what you're doing, and like now there's somebody new to maybe torment and which is terrible, but like, yeah, I guess a little bit understandable anyway, yes that's uh, that's what I thought with that situation yeah i liked that and then we see carol and lydia cleaning up f or cleaning up arthur he is the frequent intoxicated patient that they see and as carol is taking off his off his shoes my gosh she is stabbed by a dirty needle and this needle is hidden in his shoe which just sucks like there was no way to prevent that yes yes I just, I wonder if that happened much
0: more in the 90s. I wonder like when it became Mm -hmm. a more recognized thing to have a thing to have safeguards on the needles, like to, that the needle pops down or whatever, like the, the little thing that you flip up on the needle to make sure that you can't poke anybody or, you know, even in this case, probably people that are injecting might be using syringes that don't have that guard. But I would be interested to find out from sherry or from anybody like if that happened a lot more
1: right if needle sticks were more prominent yeah yeah because like carol says like in that episode that this is her fifth yeah needle stick.
0: her fifth needle needle Which stick is injury crazy i've only
1: had one
0: ever and then it was like a super low risk and it was my own fault and it was like an insulin needle and i gave someone their insulin and then i took it out and i fumbled okay. with it and i just picked like the tip tip of my finger it wasn't even the patient was super low risk and it was yeah it was totally fine
1: yeah because I've only ever had one two and like it was a little bit traumatic but like it wasn't a high risk thing at all yeah. like I it was really dumb <laughs> I, I wasn't even like it was a completely clean needle it wasn't even a needle it was one of those blunt cannulas yes That you just use to draw up stuff like medications or whatever, saline or whatever. And then it's not something you would ever administer to a patient because it doesn't have a sharp needle on it. It's just for drawing up. Yeah. And I was going to like drop morphine, but first I was filling my syringe with saline. Yeah. And so... Those vials have like a rubber stopper on them. Yes. And so I was like going to like, and I was in a hurry and I pushed the blunt cannula into that rubber stopper, but it hit the metal ring around the stopper and it slipped Uh, and it hit my thumb and it went like, I was using such force. It went straight through my thumb. (gasps) (laughs) And so Uh, from like left to right. What? Yeah. And yeah, it went like all the way through. (laughs) a blood cannula which is like a very large gauge needle and not sharp so it hurt a lot (laughs) it went through through the other side of your thumb like the pad like all the way to the end of the needle like to the yeah it went all the way through oh (laughs) my god and so then I was shocked, like, in a little bit of a state of shock, and I dropped the, like, syringe of saline, but, like, still had the needle with the (laughs) syringe attached stuck in my thumb. (laughs) And I was, like, just holding on to this needle and syringe with the inside of my thumb like I wasn't holding it with the other hand anymore I was just like oh my god and so I was making a sound very similar to like (laughs) 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 freaking out because I didn't really know what to do and I was kind of in shock (laughs) And so another staff member, and I wish I knew who this person was, but I don't remember. I think I was in such shock. I don't remember. But somebody came, like, running into the bedroom because I was like, (laughs) and they came in, and they came in just as I, like, had the frame of mind to, like, I need to pull this needle out. So, like, I grabbed the syringe and I ripped it out of my thumb. And blood just poured out of my thumb. Oh my god! Oh, what did you do? Yeah, there was blood all over the floor. I had it all over my scrubs. It was bled a lot because that those needles are really big. Yeah, they are. Like,
0: they're, they're like an 18 or 20 gauge or 18 or 16 gauge. I bet
1: I must have looked crazy. <laughs> like I just <laughs> looked insane. Um. So anyway. There was blood everywhere. So then whoever it was that came in was like, Oh my god, Melissa, like get it together. And it's okay, it's okay, it's gonna be fine. And so um helped wrap up my thumb. Yes. And then I ended up making a chart to like make sure I hadn't like done any damage in my thumb. <laughs> but uh yeah, but it was a completely clean needle. Like as traumatic as the whole situation <laughs> was, it was a clean needle. I didn't need to worry about oh like my other god. diseases. So
0: like that's a really traumatic needle stick injury. Very traumatic.
1: It was a little bit crazy. Yes. 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 (laughs) It was a lot more than I would have liked. Holy. but yeah, funny. Yeah. So (laughs) kind of interesting. Like I understand like from an outsider's I guess perspective the stress that Carol is feeling like having a needle stick injury. But almost they almost make it sound like it's a badge of honor. Yeah. A little bit.
0: And more like it was kind of like oh here we go again. It was kind of like meh. I didn't feel like it was a big deal, where I would have been like, well, it's a pretty a big deal to get a needle stick
1: from like yeah. a... a sp- like much more concerned than what they seemed to be. Yeah. Like they were comparing the number of sticks they've had, and then Dr. Green was like, oh, I've only had three. Like, let me be the next person to empty the sharps container. Like, yeah. It was just... Weird. I just felt like the culture around it was very weird. Yeah. It's almost
0: like CrossFitters going into Rabdo. Yeah, it's like a badge of honor true. to go into no, Rabdo, and it's like actually Rabdo's super dangerous. It's not a good thing. You don't want to
1: go into Rabdo. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like I understood to a certain extent that like emergency culture is kind of like that, like a tough it out kind of culture. But like it was just shocking to me because we don't take needle sticks as lightly as that. Like they're very traumatic. It could change your life. Yes. Right? Like maybe you get hepatitis or like maybe you get HIV or whatever it is. And like that can be life changing. So so yeah, it's kind of more of a serious situation than they made it sound like but Totally. Totally. And then our friend and colleague, Sherry, also told us a story about needles in the 90s. And before, like you said, with those safe locking kind of needles where it was like you couldn't end up pricking yourself again because they block the needle off. Mm -hmm. Those are all of the needles that we use now for IVs or even for IM injections, which is really great for us now, but that didn't exist in the 90s. And so Sherry was telling us that they used to, after they started an IV, they would take the needle and poke it into the mattress of the patient's bed. Yes. (laughs) Right? Crazy? Yeah. Yeah. As a safety precaution so that they wouldn't end up pricking the patient or themselves with a open needle. Right and then they would secure the IV and like finish up what they were doing and then take the needle and dispose of it. Of course, this practice would damage the plastic of the mattresses. Oh. And they would end up having to cover the mattresses with like duct tape with all the holes that they would create. And then she went on to say that they would also not clean the stretchers in between patients. And even sometimes they wouldn't change the sheets. If like a patient just sat on the sheets, they wouldn't change them unless they were like really dirty or smelly. Wow. Um, which blew my yeah, mind. totally. Yeah. <laughs> And she recalls this time, and, like, I'm going to just preface this with, if you have a sensitive stomach, like, skip 10 seconds ahead, because this is really disgusting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But she recalls a time when a patient came and sat on a dirty stretcher um, that they just hadn't cleaned because it didn't look dirty. And stool seeped out of the like ivy needle holes in the mattress oh, onto the sheets. Oh my god. And didn't did someone because sit on it? This is it? actually a very dirty mattress. Yeah. So this new patient came and sat on the mattress. Oh, and because they sat on it, the stool seeped out of the mattress. No. <laughs> oh my god. No. Oh that's so bad. Very <laughs> oh, disgusting. God. I can't even imagine a situation like this. Oh my God. So if you are gagging at home, you're not alone because I also was gagging when I first (laughs) read this story.
0: And the longevity of our mattresses are much better now because we're not piercing holes into them.
1: Yes. So since that incident, (laughs) Sherry said that they had to replace the mattresses that were punctured. And... They were no longer allowed to put needles into the mattresses. That was a new rule. Yeah, good call. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if oh you were that patient that sat on that mattress and oh. poop started pouring out of the mattress? From someone oh my else. God. Uh, someone else's oh. poop. Uh. Oh. <laughs> so Not, gross. Okay. Anyway. Not okay. Not Okay. No, but also an amazing story from Sherry. So thank you very much, Uh, Sherry. (laughs) Amazing story. I can just hear her Uh, telling it too. Yeah. We need to share more of Sherry, I think. Yes, we do. She needs to be a large part of this podcast. Yes, absolutely. All right. So then we go on to Dr. Green. He sees a patient to come in who is a drug mule um he is holding what the officers think is about a kilo of cocaine and condoms in his rectum for eight days because he is looking at 20 years in jail for drug trafficking if he passes this evidence okay so he has been holding on to these this or the condoms For eight days. How could you possibly do that? I couldn't even imagine doing that. Like, he's
0: definitely got a Uh. bowel obstruction from those things. Like, you're not pooping. Like, are you not eating? Are you not drinking? How are you holding on to all of these pockets of Coke? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yes. Like, I was thinking about it when I was watching this episode and I was like, if I tried, <laughs> I maybe would last like two days. Totally. Like, Because a kilo of coke is a lot of cocaine. Totally. <laughs> like- he must have had to like
0: give himself an enema or something to like wash out his bowels, not eat anything and then stick them all up there so that he didn't have any food coming down to like make into poop. And then have to poop it all out. Yeah,
1: I guess like just not eating very much solids and like just taking a little bit of like liquid here and there. Yeah, eight days, craziness, Louise. Eight days is a long time. And then, could you imagine if one of those things burst? Which what's. What ends up happening here? So, great segue. So, um, he later ends up crashing because the condoms full of cocaine rupture in his colon. And he ends up having an overdose. So crazy. Like, is that worth you trying to evade criminal, like, prosecution? Like, you potentially could die because you have so much cocaine in your system. Yes. I and you don't, don't even know. need that so. much cocaine. I don't know what the actually like what the actual dosing is.
0: There's a lot of cocaine I think used in where we are, and people describe it to me as if it's just an upper. Oh, it's just a little upper, and it's like no, actually, you can have a heart attack from cocaine. You know, we yes, have 30, easily we have young people. Like I had a patient that was in her early twenties who had a big coke binge one weekend. And her ECG was fine. And then we did her uh, cardiac enzymes. And her trope was through the roof. Mm-hmm. And she had given herself a heart attack by doing, like, going on a coke binge. And she was this healthy young girl. I was like, you have permanent damage now. Yes. Like, this is not yes. just like a, re- like a regular... It's not like marijuana where there's not really... Aside from like cyclical vomiting, there's not really like a ton of really harmful side effects. It seems. Anyways, I might be speaking out of imminent side effects right
1: you can use cocaine and put yourself into a cardiac arrest like you can have a heart attack from a dose of cocaine like yeah i think because maybe it's considered more of a like higher class yeah expensive drug totally that it's considered a safer thing to use because these upper class kind of middle class people are using it that's not true. That's not like, true. It's a drug. Yes. It's the same. Yes. <laughs> like, and you can absolutely affect your heart very significantly. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that this guy is holding on to this much cocaine <laughs> in his rectum. Like, it's just like, oh, my God. It's nuts. The best part of this story is when the condom breaks, he ends up going into an overdose and into cardiac arrest. And Deb, the new med student, yeah. goes to grab the defibrillation paddles <laughs> and yeah. she accidentally shocks Carter with 200 jewels. Oh my God. <laughs> and he just goes down. <laughs> like, <laughs> could, you,
0: could you imagine? And when they went down, when he went down as well, everyone is like, is he okay? Yep, continue. And they just like totally forgot about him.
1: <laughs> I don't fine. think that would be the case if it actually no. happened. Like, if something like that happened, yeah. we would be freaking out over our staff member who's collapsed on the ground. Totally. But, like, yeah, Dr. Green is just, uh, how many jewels is that? Oh, 200? He should probably be fine. Yes. That was the best part of this whole episode. I really enjoyed that. So part. funny. Uh, they end up reviving this patient and sending him to the OR uh, to have the cocaine baggies whatever removed Mm -hmm. and carter later wakes up in a hospital bed with halay and deb at his bedside they joke about what tests they might have done (laughs) on him which is really great yes (laughs) that was really great (laughs) so um yeah deb says some stuff about or potentially having looked at his genitalia, also having done a rectal exam, and he is a little bit mortified. But, yeah. man, that was great. That was it was so really good. good. And I really liked how Halei helped Deb be like, we're going to get him back. Like, we'll get him <laughs> yeah. back. It's fine. <laughs> He's treating you like shit, and we'll just do it the right way. Yeah. Like, we'll get him back the right way. Yeah, which I really enjoyed because like I think a lot of times nurses are kind of like that yeah. like we find the underdog a lot of the time and like want to help support yeah. them like there's definitely some like residents or students that are like not ideal like if you're gonna ha- come in with an attitude we're not gonna appreciate that. totally but if you come in humble and like want to learn, and are inclusive to everyone, we are 100% going to support the underdog because that's just our whole kind of existence, right? Like, nursing is just generally, you're the underdog. So I think that it's kind of, for the most part, if someone is kind to you and works hard and is a good person we're gonna fight for you yeah that's what we've been trained to do like we're advocates yes. at the end of the day that's what we're supposed to be mm-hmm. doing so we like doing that stuff so yeah. yeah if a student comes up to me and like wants to figure out something or wants to learn something I'm more than happy to like help them figure it out yeah right? like totally yeah so I kind of liked that they showed that culture with Halle helping Deb out yeah. it was pretty good I like that too And then uh, Dr. Ross sees a brain damaged patient who comes in. He's a pediatric patient and he has pneumonia and he ends up crashing. His dad seems really disconnected during the code and just like asking very like blunt questions. No emotion. Yeah. Yeah, And it was kind of, it threw me off at first. Yeah. But then like as the storyline progressed, I started to kind of empathize with him a Mm -hmm. bit. Totally. So the child ended up, we found out later that he was hit by a car two years previous, causing a severe brain injury. Mm-hmm. And this is a clip of the dad explaining what happened. Are you asleep? Yeah. I went and got a few of his things. Ben's pretty
0: sick, Mr. Gay. He's got be a bad case of pneumonia, which caused his heart problems earlier he today. Hopefully the antibiotics will turn him around. The well, last time the doctors put him on the ventilator. Well, we may have to do that if his blood gases don't improve. When will you know? We'll check in an hour or so. He likes rhythm. You know, before the accident, he was taking trumpet lessons. Used the metronome to practice. Nothing think he remembers. Kid had a hell of a bat. Now, if that picture isn't there, when he wakes up, gets his look. What happened? He's riding his bike to school, and this 85-year-old man waves Ben across the street and gets confused between the brake and the accelerator.
1: Yeah, it was very sad to hear that story. Yes.
0: I know, awful, awful, awful. Yes,
1: Doug seems like he's very judgmental of this father because he signs a DNR form, and Doug end up ends up confronting the father about the DNR, saying that like his son could live a long life if he was just put on a ventilator temporarily for now, mm-hmm. and the dad is just like not super receptive to that. Mm-hmm. In the end, he comes back and he kind of, the dad kind of breaks down and is like, you know what, I, what kind of dad would want this? But I kind of was thinking that it would be easier for me if my son just died. Yeah. I've dedicated two years of my life. I've really struggled. I have no friends left. I have no family. Like, it's just me and him, and I have to be at his side every day. I can't work. That would be very difficult. Like, two years of that is a long time. Yes, totally.
0: It reminded me the storyline of a case in Saskatchewan. I don't know if you remember it. It was actually, like, when we were very small. I think this happened, actually, it was in 1993, so right around the time when this show aired. The dad's name is Robert Latimer, he's, like, a farmer in Saskatchewan. And he was the sole provider of his daughter, Tracy, who was born with cerebral palsy and was a quad. And I can't remember how old she was uh, when she died, but she basically operated at the behavior and intelligence of, like, a three-month-old baby she was in excruciating pain all the time and the only pain relief that she could have was Tylenol and they didn't really in the article that I read they didn't get into why she could only have Tylenol but basically what he did is he he basically said like she lived a tortured life and so he took a hose from the back of his truck and put it into the cab of the car and put her in the car and then Basically killed her with carbon monoxide poisoning.
1: Oh my God. Yeah.
0: He went to jail for 25 years. I read this article that he's now out and I don't know where he's living, but he still stands by what he did. And he says she lived nothing but pain her entire life. And I couldn't put her through that anymore. She was actually she. She had something like twenty odd surgeries. She and she like she was young. I want to say she was like maybe seven, like five or seven years old when, when she died, and I don't think that the mum was in the picture, and so this dad basically just witnessed his daughter in pain every day, all day long, and couldn't do anything about Jeez. it, and no surgeries would help her, nothing. Anyways, I, I this story kind of. Obviously, it's not the same extent. But like when you see your child going through stuff, you can see why he's having these thoughts. You can empathize with this character. And I also empathize with Robert. Not that I... Like uh, obviously, you don't know how you're going to react unless you're in that position yourself with your child. And now we have so much more technology and we have so much more available to us in terms of treatment for people that are born with um,
1: things like this. But uh, this story was so
0: so sad yeah Yeah.
1: like and like this dad clearly understands that like he feels horrible for the way that he feels yes or for wanting his son to maybe pass yeah but like at the same time i don't blame him like he's had nothing in the last two years and like he has devoted so much of his life to his kid. Mm-hmm. And, like, what quality of life is his kid having? Right? right? Like, yeah. I mean, you see the kid smiling and that sort of thing. But, like, how much of that is really, like, yeah. great mm-hmm. for the kid? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I empathize with this dad a lot. And I didn't know that story that you told. But, like, I would empathize with that dad, too. Yeah. Like, I mean... It I do think it is a whole nother level to like actually yeah, inflict. kill your kids. Yes, totally. I, I don't know that I could do that. Yes. But in the same breath, like I don't know what it's like to live like that yeah. and watch your kids suffer. Yeah. Like that also might be just as bad, if not worse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh it's quite a gray zone that I don't even know that there's a good solution to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like because how do you make the right choice for that kid? Yes. Right? Because you don't know what they're going through and you have no way of properly communicating with them to do that. Mm-hmm. right? So I don't know. That's really tough. Yeah. And then what's kind of a little bit more storyline yes. interesting <laughs> about this situation is that this dad asks Doug... If he has any kids. And we get to learn a little bit more about Doug's kids. So we learned in an earlier episode, I think it was like episode two, that Doug has a kid. But he just threw it out there, kind of half-assed that conversation. We had no idea what was happening. And then this episode, similar kind of idea. He just threw out some more information. But we get a little bit more of an insight. We learn that his kid is eight years old. And later Doug tells Wendy, the nurse, um, that he's never met his kid and he doesn't even know the child's name. So interesting. he has very little information about his son. Yeah. It's like a little bit more pieces to the puzzle yes. on Doug's life before this. Very yeah. interesting. Yes. I really want to know if Carol knows. Do you think Carol uh. knows? I feel like, like she I does. Say yes, yeah, because like I don't think he'd be so cavalier to like answer those questions if Carol didn't know the answers. Yes, totally. I mean? Like I don't think he would just like be giving information to Wendy. Because, I'm sorry, if you're going to give information to a nurse, that nurse is going to go to their nurse friend and tell that nurse what's happening. absolutely. So, yes, you wouldn't be so cavalier with Wendy to be like, oh, I don't even know my kid's name. I'm sure
0: everybody in that circle knows that he has a son that he doesn't know. Yeah, I would assume so. Because the gossip chain is real and that... For sure is getting around
1: right and if you didn't want people to know that then you wouldn't be answering questions like yes. that in this workplace. exactly yeah. exactly yeah. yeah I totally agree so then we see dr. Lewis and she meets with dr. Morgenstern he tells her um, in this meeting it's about the cardiac patient that passed away in the previous episode mm-hmm. and he tells her that she isn't assertive enough for the emergency department And that if she can't be more assertive, that they will have to discuss her switching specialties. Which I just thought was so... Like, it was just such an asshole thing to say. That's pretty harsh. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of went back and forth. I thought about this a lot in the last day or so. Yeah. Because... I don't 100% disagree with what Dr. Morgan Stern is saying, and I don't think he's saying it or he's trying to say it in like a really asshole kind of way. Yeah. But it is that coming off that way. Like, it is a bad thing generally to say. Like, I think that I'm kind of on both sides almost. Yeah. Is that like, I get that like, yes, in the emergency department, you do have to be assertive to a certain extent Mm -hmm. because you have a lot of different disciplines coming at you. You have a lot of different angers or emotions coming at you and you have to be able to like stick up for your patient, do what is right, even when faced with like controversy or Mm -hmm. people getting in your face Mm -hmm. or whatever. yeah But I also... Hate that that's how you have to be. Yes. Like, I hate that you have to have this, like, tough exterior, like, steel skin attitude Mm -hmm. to get through the emergency department. You shouldn't have to. Yeah. People should be good people. And just respect each other.
0: Yeah. Totally.
1: And that is just... Not the culture that we have yes. in the emergency department. Yeah. The culture is be tough, stand up for yourself, stand up for your patients or fail.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: My mind, like it should be more of an inclusive let's work to get the to the best outcome for everybody. Yeah without maybe making feel or making people feel like crap yeah totally (laughs) the other day
0: i actually sort of witnessed this phone call one of our doctors who is an incredible like he's so kind so sweet good to his patients good to his residents good to his colleagues like in terms of different specialties with it in er or not And he had this patient who had um, a heart attack and he was basically consulting a service to get this patient admitted to the cath lab he called them and I could hear him talking but I couldn't hear the other person and at one point he was like I don't think it's constructive to be arguing about this I'm worried about this patient and I can see on their ECG xyz and the way that he handled it he didn't get heated but you could tell that the conversation that he was having he was getting yelled at and like why would you do questioning why he was consulting they ended up sending the ECG over and then he went straight to the cath lab so this doc argued with our ED doc for nothing. And it was like, why didn't you just say, Hey, cool. You don't want to just send over the ECG. I'll have a look. Instead of arguing for five minutes, I had even more respect for this ED doc after I heard that conversation where he was very calm and was like, yeah, you know, like, I just don't think it's constructive for us to be arguing about this. And I'm concerned about this patient and I can see clearly in his ECG that this is what's happening. And I was like, that's how interaction should go. And that person on the other line should never, should not be getting upset about
1: this. Right. Right.
0: People don't just consult for
1: nothing. Exactly. Either you figure out how to be constructive like that, like how Mm -hmm. to deal with conflict. Like I have never been so good at dealing with conflict. Until like a few years into working Same. in an emergency, totally because like, you either figure out how to calmly deal with it constructively like that, mm-hmm. or you start yelling back. Yeah, or I guess the third thing is like you just crumble. Yeah, like, you end up like Susan, who like can't assert herself at all, really. Right, and struggles because of it. Yeah, but like none of those options should have to be the case. Yeah, for like, sure. You just shouldn't have to. Be in one of those three situations. Mm -hmm. You should be able to be just a good person and have everybody realize that everyone is looking out for the best interest of the patient. Yeah. We kind of fight against each other when we really should just be working together and it would probably be a lot easier. Yes. Everybody would be happier. Totally. Which is like what ends up happening with Susan, right? She ends up crying in a bathroom which was
0: really sad, but it totally made me think about like the amount of times I've gone to like somewhere private to
1: just be like, ah, and cry. What was like your spot? Where did you go? Um. Okay. The only thing I can really think about is I had like one bad situation. I'm not yeah. a big crier. So like I'm, I'm not prone to crying. Typically I would cry if like I'm yes. really stressed out. And, like, usually I would wait until, like, I got Mm -hmm. to my car after work and then cry if I was going to cry after a shift. I would very infrequently cry at work while I'm actually there. But I did cry once that I can remember. And it was – I used the family room. Oh, yeah. Like, the – there's, like, a room that, like, if – Family. If a family member is passing away, we'll like let the family yeah. sit in there. There's a phone. It's a very nice little quiet room. That's where I went. There was nobody in there at that time. And it was a very mm-hmm. emotional time for me. And I ended up crying for quite yeah. a while in that room and ended up having to go home because I was yeah. just too much of a mess. But yeah, I don't cry a ton at work. I'm usually pretty like I've got mm-hmm. that wall mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. solidly in place. And so I will cry on the way home from work in my yes. car a lot, but like, I will not cry at work. Yeah. So, yeah. What about you? Well,
0: I can't think of anything specifically either. Cause I, I, I think that a lot of people go to the bathroom, but that to me is even, is even risky because there's so much traffic through the bathrooms. So I was like, I can't cry in the bathroom. Yes. So it was
1: I would never cry. So,
0: I think I remember there was like an empty area that is now a different part of the emergency that I would, I think I went to once to cry. And then the other time that I cried was after a code and we had called it on this patient. And for some reason, this one patient like really hit me. And like after we called it, I just like, Wrote the time of death, and then I told our charger. So I was like, I just need a minute, and then I just went out and I whipped. Like there's a a stretcher like by triage where we do our ECGs on patients that are walk in chest pains, mm-hmm. and I just like pulled the curtain around myself and I was like, <gasps> and had like my moment, and then I just like composed myself and came back and then just continued charting. But it was like, yeah, that was, but yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, that's a good but spot. I don't really have a. Um, like a special spot. It's more just like, where is the quietest? Where is there going to be the least amount of people? It's usually like um, a stock room or something. Um, But bathrooms, contrary yes. to popular belief, are not a private place to have a moment.
1: No, there is no way I would no. cry in our bathroom. Like it's very much like the bathroom that Susan and Carol were in yeah. when Susan was crying. And like, it is very easy for, like, someone like Carol to be in that bathroom at the yeah. same time. Like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, you can't poop in that bathroom. Like, <laughs> no, there's going to be more no people way. that come into that bathroom. You can't take a comfortable shit. There's
0: no possible way you can do that.
1: Although, okay, so I do, I'm, I might cut this out, but <laughs> I would say that a private bathroom, if you do really need to poop, is... The CT bathroom, the CT staff bathroom. Oh, have you ever been there? yes, I have. If you ever need to poop, that is the place to go. <laughs> like, it is great. That's there's no, great. there's very little traffic that comes through there because, yes. especially on nights, mm-hmm. because there's only like one person there, yes. maybe two at night, and nobody uses that bathroom. Porters don't use that bathroom, so it is. The best place if you ever need to poop. <laughs> Just to oh, say. Or cry. That's a great
0: note because It's probably a good place to cry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet it would be a good place to cry. Cuz like right now the yeah. bathroom that's by the staff room is like echoey. So there's no way you can do anything in there aside from pee because no. it you can hear everything that goes on in there.
1: Yes. And you wouldn't want to do it in the locker room because there's a fair amount of traffic that comes in and out of the locker room. Totally. And then the staff bathroom on the in the department is also not a good place because there's a great deal of traffic there. Yes. So, like, if I really have to poop, I will either poop in the CT bathroom <laughs> or <laughs> I will go downstairs to the... There's a bathroom beside the elevators yeah. in the basement. Okay. That bathroom, I will go there, too, because it is a very, like, low-frequency bathroom. Not very many people I are there.
0: love this conversation about logistics of
1: pooping. Yes. It's really you, good. When you're on a 12-hour shift, you've got to poop sometimes. So that's just how it goes. <laughs>
0: yeah oh yeah like it's after you have a coffee you have your coffee and then
1: all of a sudden you're like oh here it comes (laughs) yeah i feel a movement (laughs) you gotta find the right bathrooms that are safe to do that yeah it's like what's up what's (laughs) up next okay so dr benton gets an emergency phone call from his brother-in-law that his mother is missing his brother-in-law walter and benton then go out to find his mother and they end up in an argument uh peter doesn't want his mother to be in long-term care Mm -hmm. and walter and peter's sister jackie do um want her to go to a long-term care facility so it's an ongoing kind of discussion from the last episode Um, but now she's actually missing because peter tried to hire somebody to take care of her and that just clearly wasn't enough. Yeah. Peter ends up finding his mom at a skating rink where he used where she used to bring him and his sister and she begs him to not send her to a nursing home. Which is like super tough. Like I feel for Peter, but like at the same time This broke my heart.
0: Like the way that she looked at him she had so much sadness and fear in her face, like in her eyes. And like, this is just the fear of so many seniors to be put into these homes that don't take care of them. Well,
1: like I would be more
0: comfortable personally, me going into a home. If I knew that I was going to have good care and the people actually cared about me. And I had people there that I knew or was had the potential to develop friendships. And, but like, You know, I think that's just not the reality for so many seniors going into these places.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And that unknown of what it's going to be like. And when you have dementia and you just don't understand properly, like oh it'd be awful yes yes so then we see dr green and carol treat a social scientist who arrives in the department who intentionally is insulting people um until he gets a physical retribution for his insults um it's part of a study he is conducting and this is him explaining that situation (laughs) What's wrong with him? Who
0: cares? Uh, Carol, can you get a chart going? What'd you do to her? Questioned her sexual orientation. Oh, well, that's rude. No malice intended. Well, did she do this? Uh-uh. Newsstand guy on Rush Street. What'd you say to him? A few derogatory comments about his Middle Eastern heritage. Didn't take much. Do you have any other injuries anywhere else? I think I've got a cracked rib. No? Yeah? Newsstand guy? Florist in Wicker Park, sensitive about his hair weave. Malik, why don't you give me a hand here? We'll take him down to the suture room. What do you do, go around the city insulting people until they hit you? Uh-huh. I'm a sociologist at the University of Chicago specializing in violence. I select a subject, ask two questions to probe for insecurities, then I use the information to antagonize them until they assault me. Sounds like dangerous work. Tell me about it. My insurance company charges me the same premiums as NASCAR drivers. <laughs> like, I ask two questions. questions. Yeah. Two questions. <laughs> He's like so brutally honest. I I appreciated him aside from when he was like, What's your sexual orientation to that paramedic? But I thought his comments to Carol, I was like, Hmm, he's pretty insightful. Like, I
1: was like, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, he asks Carol a couple of questions about her engagement and her commitment issues, and he ends up Pushing her to her limit fairly quickly, yeah. according to his timing. Yeah, and she ends up pouring hydrogen peroxide yeah. over <laughs> his wounds, which is kind of funny. <laughs> mm. Or what looks like hydrogen peroxide. I don't know actually know what it was, but it was in a black container, so that's what totally I think. yeah. <laughs> and he's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Anyway, um, but yeah, it ends with him. Carol ends up pairing him next to a boxer who he then asks his two questions to, and uh, the boxer ends up throwing him out of the room. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that was Carol's revenge for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, he does hit it on the head with Nick Carol, like with her being, like, uh, maybe afraid of commitment with Teg, yes. or he doesn't quite nail it with Doug, but, like, he's pretty close yes. to... The situation yeah so then the episode ends when all of the staff ends up at uh, the diner across the street at Doc Magoo's Mm -hmm. Carol then finally announces her date for the wedding which is May 18th and then Doug ends up giving a very thoughtful kind toast to Carol on her wedding i don't know like do you think like it's acceptance looks between them like they seem like she's very happy that he seems accepting of her wedding and her relationship with Mm Tang. but is it undertoned with oh maybe he's a really great guy that i should go get back together with i don't know i don't know
0: (laughs) i couldn't quite tell i feel like it's acceptance on doug's part at this point but i still think I think so, yeah. too. I think he's kind of like, okay, I need to just come to terms with this now. And she's moving on. I need to move on, too, even though I'm, I'm like, hurt by it. Um, I'm still holding out hope that they're going to be together. But that prediction seems to be dwindling <laughs> yeah. more and more. <laughs> so I'm like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not going to be together. But I want them to. Ah.
1: Yeah, I agree. I do think that it's like acceptance on Doug's part. Like he's really trying to come to terms with this because he realizes that like this is what's happening and I need to move on. And I think him hearing from... Linda, mm-hmm. that like he's not marriage material, yeah. is maybe starting to affect him a bit. That like, like maybe he's realizing he needs to move on, to work like on some that stuff. This thing with Carol's not going to happen, and like he needs to grow up. Yeah, and so like there's maybe like some inner workings there. Yeah, and he's actually starting to accept it. Yeah, but I think that Carol is like starting to realize that he's starting to accept it, which makes her think yeah. that totally he's more mature and yeah. like po- a possibility yeah. again. Yes. That look that she gave him, I was like, "Oh, I know. she likes him again, maybe." I, know. I don't know. I think <laughs> I don't know.
0: It's like Carol wants to be with him, and she like if she, if he only behaved a bit better, she would be like 100% on board and she'd be like, "Yep. Like you're the one. Like you are the one." Right. But because he's treated her so poorly, She, I think, is trying to be good to herself and say, like, no, I'm not accepting this relationship because you are not a safe person for me to be with. But if he turned around and if he showed her that he had changed, I feel like she would drop tag like a hot potato.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's the end of the episode. That's
0: the end. That's it. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Remember to rate subscribe and review the podcast and like word of mouth goes a really long way and so if you think you know somebody that might want to listen to this and might enjoy hearing about uh the show or like the things that we talk about tell them to come listen to the podcast yeah, yeah like, we're always like look- the more the merrier we're always looking for more listeners
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right well we'll see you guys next week all right see you next week everybody bye, bye. bye. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemes. photography by Ainsley Cardoso-Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at podcast, or now on Twitter at erdbriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again.